So today we've got a big day, and I want to um, I want to press right in. I hope you've taken your notes note cards out, and I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach. Uh, to what I want to share today. We're going to introduce some new information to you, make an announcement, and uh, hope you've been getting those messages and emails. If you're not getting those, please make sure you get signed up so we can uh, correspond. But I, I need to just get my focus. How about you? Lord, we don't want to rush through anything. We don't want to allow any feeling or sense of time crutch to... Uh, to invade what you desire to do. I pray you'd give us ears to hear what you want to say, eyes to see the vision of God, hearts to discern the plans, Lord, that you've purposed from the foundation of the world for us to literally take all that has been entrusted to our care from previous generations of believers and impact our generation, leaving more for the future generation church to really be able to do more than we could ever imagine. Help us to understand that, to recognize our role in that today, individually, corporately, and congregationally. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. How many of you want to grow further in your relationship with Jesus? No matter how far you've gone, there's still further to go. And I want you to think with me about what does next level you look like. That's the title today, Thinking Through Next Level You. And I want you to use the word thinking on purpose. The Bible actually says we're to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. I want to deliver a challenge today that is a challenge maybe on an intellectual level, that actually couples with something of spiritual power and intellectual understanding and coming into uh, a posture that you might not have put the gospel into this framework, but it's important that we learn to do so. Um, we do work with a number of churches now. We oversee a number of pastors and leaders as a church congregation family. Uh, God's given us that tremendous privilege and responsibility. And uh, I'll never forget, I was sitting just a year ago in a board meeting in one of those churches in Shawnee. And as we're sitting there, the pastor's daughter came in. She's a student at the University of Oklahoma. And she made this incredible statement just sitting there talking about the mission of the church. And she said, you know, we really need to help these college students because like I was just enrolled in a class at, at OU. And on the first day, that professor stood up and said, raise your hand if you are a Christian. And she said, more than half of the kids in the class raised their hand. But the, the professor's mission for the semester was to dismantle the beliefs of any Christians in the room. And on the last day of the semester, she asked the same question, raise your hand if you're a Christian, and only the pastor's daughter raised her hand. How many of you believe that there are um, ideologies that are warring against the soul of humanity War, uh, rising up against the knowledge of God in the day in which you and I live. I don't, I don't know if you saw, it's just come out, but Barnes & Noble has just done um, story time with drag queens for children, and you can bring your children to Barnes & Noble and let the drag queens that volunteer read stories to your kids to create a, great, a greater awareness of lifestyles that our children need to explore. So we need to, we need to have a, a, an idea 
of who we are, where we stand, and how to walk that out, very importantly, in love. In love. Central to everything because God isn't just loving, God is love. Now, how many of you know that the world is largely confused about Christians and the church? They don't really understand Christians in the church, and largely that's because Christians are confused about themselves. And so I want to address a little bit of that today as we understand 2 Corinthians chapter 10 speaks of this to us, how we live in a world full of vain arguments that war against the knowledge of God. And you've got the verse, I think, on your card there, so I'm not going to go to that because I'm bringing another emphasis, but for sake of reference, you have that there. And I want you to understand, this: we live in a world of vain arguments that war against the knowledge of God. And if you and I are not careful, if you and I are not careful we erroneously default to feelings of inferiority when it comes to intellectual interactions. University settings are very challenging for young believers to come in and experience that if they don't have a base and a strength of what it really is to be empowered critical thinkers armed with a Christian worldview. This is really significant. In the, I'm speaking this to the atmosphere of our church, but I'm declaring this prophetically to the atmosphere of our land. I'm declaring this to the atmosphere of our nation in Jesus' mighty name. There's something significant about what God wants to do in this house. Come on, let's agree and clap it in and declare it in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come in the mighty name of Jesus. I had the privilege of... of coming to Christ as an adult under Dr. James Burkett, who I sent a happy Father's Day this morning as a father in the faith in my life. And um, I watched as Dr. Burkett, when I was a student at Oklahoma State University, I watched as he accepted an invitation to debate an atheist in a student forum And I went to sit in this student forum and watch my pastor debate an atheist on a very significant topic right in front of all the student body. That triggered something in me. That helped me see something as a Christian that I really needed to see. Because later, I then would accept an invitation to a debate at the University of Central Oklahoma where I would stand with Dr. Darian DeBolt in a televised debate in a student forum on the university campus a few years ago, and we then would have a spirited interaction and conversation on creationism and evolution and what that really looks like. And the thing that I want to say to you, I I feel like Dr. Burkett gave this to me, and I need to carry it, and we need to embrace it. Folks, God doesn't want you just to have faith that is at the expense of intellectual ideology. Like, you don't have to be ignorant to be a Christian. You really need to understand Jesus was the most critical thinking person that ever lived on the planet. Now, I know that this is not necessarily common uh, thought of our day, but, but it's your first blank. The most intellectually critical thinker that ever lived was Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you some proof of that today so it's not just a bunch of Christians celebrating something that, you know, the world would say, well, that's really not, I don't really see that. But I'm going to walk you through that and understand it. But but listen carefully. I want to lay a little groundwork for this. You and I must train our children to be empowered, critical thinkers who are armed with a Christian worldview. That means... 
Before you celebrate that too much, you got to understand that means you and I need to be empowered critical thinkers who are armed with the Christian worldview. You cannot give what you do not have. You must possess what you're to present and release. We have a great responsibility to understand this very important concept today. A child who comes home from school and says at the family dinner table, hey, we were talking about sexual preference today at school, and the parents just hurl across the table, well, you need to tell them Romans chapter 1. What you've just done is you've empowered that child in the context of the kitchen table with an argument that works at home but does not work in the school. Therefore, when they go to school, they don't have an argument. They don't have anything to say except, well, my mom and dad believe. Ravi Zacharias says this, we must learn to argue truth from having discovered the point of relevance. Everybody shout relevance. Boy, this is an important concept. If you don't know who Ravi Zacharias is, you should look him up, a phenomenal apologist of our generation. He said this, I'm going to repeat it again, we must learn to argue truth from having discovered the point of relevance. Then we illustrate from the point of reference. First, we must have relevance or common ground to discuss something. And then we illustrate from a point of of reference. Now that we have common ground, I can give an illustration that is a reference which you will identify and relate to. And then he says, finally, thirdly, not before the first two, then we apply a point of disturbance where we finally confront with truth. See, here's the problem. Confrontation comes last. And in the world that you and I live in, we as Christians, because we've become so unloving about what we believe, can I just be honest? Confrontation is first. We would rather confront with truth than embrace with love. Our job's not to change people, our job's to love people. And the church, by and large, has become very ineffective at what God has called us to do because we've just gotten our little small frame of reference, and we've never moved to expand that into a posture that anybody else can identify with unless they believe like we believe. Jesus didn't do that, and I want to show you that in Scripture. I want you to imagine the Sadducees coming out to try and intimidate Jesus. So here these Sadducees are, and this is the equivalent to the most prestigious religious university in the history of the world, and the master professors, the master teaching professors are coming out of the most prestigious religious university in the history of the world with eager, ambitious students surrounding them, looking forward to watching these master teaching professors grill this idiot who is rising against their belief structure named Jesus, and they're all looking forward, the crowd is against him from the very onset of of this debate debate and discussion that's about to take place. That's the context that Jesus was in. Sometimes we don't understand overall context, but we need to understand and recognize this. Jesus brings the discussion. This is just vitally important. Jesus brings the discussion into a context of their framework. Now, I want to encourage you to go to the blog because I don't have time to explain all this. I'm going to use some terminology that you're not going to understand. I'll give you a brief sense of understanding, but on the blog, I have written all of this out 
everything I've already said, everything I'm about to say, and a whole lot more for you to understand. The argument style, if you're a person that studies debate, then you know the terminology uh, reductio ad absurdum. And in the science of debate, this is a particular style of argumentation that we see Jesus using. Uh, Can I just mention again, Jesus is the most intellectual, critical thinker in the history of the world. He's standing now toe-to-toe with ambitious students surrounding their master teaching professors, and he is about to go toe-to-toe on a very important topic that they're discussing with him, and he uses this particular uh, debate style. Reductio ad absurdum very simply says, I will embrace your position long enough to draw absurd conclusions, and then you will be face-to-face with either abandoning your conclusions because they're absurd or just becoming absurd yourself. That's the idea of reductio ad absurdum. So Matthew 22, this is where we see the Sadducees coming, and they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and so they attempted this with Jesus, and they said, so Jesus, if somebody is married, and then they, you know, a spouse dies, and they remarry, and a spouse dies, and they remarry, and a spouse dies, and they remarry, then when they go to heaven, like, it's very confusing, who's married to who? What they were doing was, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And what they were doing was trying to present an absurd conclusion from the basis of his standpoint. Jesus gave them an intellectual superior response as he took literally the most central verse to their beliefs that actually violated their doctrine and used it in their own framework to pin them to the ground. And the Bible says in verse 33, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished. And here's prior to that, what he said. Matthew 22, 31, 32. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said? Have you not? He's talking to these like very proficient individuals who know the word of God. He had to with a smile say, have you not read what God said to you? Using the kingpin verse. This is their central verse to what everything they believe. Verse 32. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And the people were astonished. Let me put the pieces together. Jesus, in a moment of interaction, takes their kingpin verse, pins them to the ground because they don't believe in the resurrection, yet they do believe, according to their central verse, that God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And if he's not the God of, uh, if he's if looking at the whole perspective of him being the God of the only those that live because there is no resurrection, how can he be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who are now dead? So he took this reductio ad absurdum approach, he entered into their context and their framework, and he began to address what they believed. He first discovered a point of relevance and then a point of reference and then disturbance as he confronted with truth. How many know... I just kind of gave you a big, huge concept. Uh, I, I want to ask you to reflect on this a little bit this week because you're going to have to digest it and start to interact with the idea and the concept in order to grow and develop in this. And because of what I'm saying to you, it is time. We've entered into a season as a church family where I want to share with you it is our desire. It is our desire to more effectively make disciples 
who pray like Jesus, who think like Jesus, who walk like Jesus, who talk like Jesus. Has anybody found 1 John 2, 6, a curious verse that says anyone who claims to him must walk as Jesus did? Do you understand the standard and the bar is that you and I learn to live consecrated lives so we live activated lives, spiritually empowered by God to walk through our world, never being intimidated by anybody that comes our way, always being loving in the way we respond respond. This is God's plan for Christians in the world that you and I live, and somehow we've, we've not understood it and embraced it, but we are about to embrace it more, Destiny family. We're going to embrace it more than what we've ever known before in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. We, we want to be more intentional and more, more pronounced about doing this, so we're introducing today the Destiny Christian Leadership Institute. And this is a, uh, a training institute. This is an opportunity for people at any level of life to step into the next level of growth. It's for people who have any level of leadership. We have talked through um, the different individuals that we have in our church family. We have high school graduates coming into our intern program. We now have articulation agreements where we're able to utilize and provide them with actual college credit for some of the coursework that we'll be doing. We've also talked through bank presidents and, and attorneys and, and different doctors, individuals at different stages of life. And how many know there's always a another level of life, and there's always another level of leadership, and God wants to take us deeper. He wants to take us further. He wants us to work together and empower God's family to be everything God's called God's family to become. That's the plan. This doesn't just happen because we hope it happens. It happens because we're intentional about it. I'm thankful for an eldership team and a staff team that's worked so hard to put all this together. And I'm going to invite AT to the platform and introduce to you our newest staff member being added to the team, the director of the Destiny Christian Leadership Institute, AT Hargrave, who comes to us with incredible leadership experience. He's pastored two churches as the lead pastor in those churches. He's led the charge on multiple things that we've done as a church family and has just felt led by God to come and just be available to serve. And over the course of now uh, quite a, uh, a bit of time, we've just built a relationship and friendship together. This wasn't the plan when we formed a friendship, but it has emerged. And I'm very delighted to, uh, to acknowledge and recognize today as he takes the platform, A.T. Hargrave. Man, I am honored uh, uh, to be here. I have just tremendous amount of respect for Pastor Lawrence and Tracy and Destiny. I came here looking for a place to worship and found a family. I don't know if that's been your experience. Just briefly, I want to share with you some of the convictions behind it. One of my deep convictions is I want to give Jesus a fresh hearing. I want us to rethink about him. I want to put him right down next to Plato and Aristotle and Nietzsche and and Lady Gaga and, and ask some real questions about whether or not he knows what he's talking about. It's difficult to be the son of God and dumb. That Jesus was smart. And when you ask people about the smartest person who ever lived, he's rarely the guy that comes to mind, but he should. And so I want to challenge us to think again. That, that's a passion of my heart, I, uh, to give him a fresh hearing and to realize that he brought knowledge with him. Now, what I mean by knowledge, I mean you know something when you can represent it as it is on an appropriate basis of thought and experience. You know something when you can represent it as it is in reality 
on the appropriate basis of thought and experience. And truthfully, if you think about it, we live by knowledge. We live by it. You wouldn't take your car to an auto shop whose sign out front said, we get lucky. Or luckiest repair shop in town, right? Or occasionally we experience divine revelation. No, you want somebody who knows how to fix your car. We actually live by knowledge or the assumed basis of it or, or in denial of it. Now you might say, well, aren't we as Christians, don't we live by faith? And I would say, absolutely. And here's my rub that I want to just get in there sometimes and, and talk about is we think faith and knowledge are somehow opposed to each other. Faith is the readiness to act on what you believe to be true. Faith is the readiness to act on what you believe to be true. But you want that grounded in knowledge. So faith would be action environed in knowledge. And faith may go beyond knowledge into things we're not, we don't know, but it always does that on the basis of knowledge. I'll give you an example. Every major play, you take Abraham, Noah, Moses, great acts of faith in the scriptures, people acted on the basis of what they knew, not on what they didn't know. God told Abraham to leave the Chaldeans. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how long he's going to be gone. Can you imagine that conversation between him and Sarah? Right? Where are we going? I don't know. How long? I don't know. You know what do you know, Abraham? You know, he can say, I know God said go, and I know God will go with me. And he acted on what he did know. You see, biblically, faith is not opposed to knowledge. It's opposed to sight. And this is what we're trying to, to realize is that knowledge can help and grow. Now, we're not talking about just academic knowledge. We're talking about practical, everyday kind of living. And that's why the Bible tells us about knowledge all the time. Hosea 4.6, my people perish for lack of knowledge. 2 Corinthians 10, we're to tear down these arguments that rise up against the knowledge of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, with all diligence, would make every effort, he says. Everybody say effort. I just want to remind you, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. You can give your effort and it not be works. That's an attitude that comes with it. Anyway, sorry, not my point. Second Peter chapter 1. With all diligence, make every effort to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control and perseverance. And if you have all these things, he says, it will keep you from being unfruitful. That's the, that's the connection there. The Bible it, it constantly tells us, 2 Peter 3.18, commands us. It's an imperative in Greek. He tells us to um, grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the, uh, to give you just a, a, a basic understanding of kind of the things we'll look at with Destiny Christian Leadership Institute. There is four basic worldview questions everybody has an answer to. You have an answer to it. Every great thinker or philosopher or artist, anybody who wants to step in and teach has an answer to these questions, whether they realize it or not. Some of their answers aren't all coherent, but so did Jesus. Four basic worldview questions, just quickly. Number one, what is real? Dallas Willard, the philosopher, says, reality is what you run into when you're wrong. But what, is, what is real? What's reality? And how do you get to know it? The second thing is, who is well off? This is an important question. Who is blessed? Who has it made? Very fundamental. Can you be well off if you're obese? Can you be well off if you have cancer? Can you be well off if you're not wealthy? But you have an answer to that question. The third is who is a good person? What does it mean to be a good person? Aristotle answered it. Nietzsche tried to answer it. 
Jesus has answers. The fourth question, one that stumped Plato, if you've ever read the, the Republic, Plato ends it with saying, I don't know how. The fourth question is, how do you become a good person? Let me give you Jesus' answer. What is real? Jesus to tell you, God and his kingdom. That at the center of everything that is real is a Trinitarian being who is the perfect love. Now, how would your life be different if you believed at the core of the existence you are safe because there's a Trinitarian God who loves you? That's what's real. Who's well off? Jesus would say, those who are with me in this kingdom. That's what the Beatitudes are. Blessed are those who mourn. Those aren't imperatives. He's not commanding you to mourn. It's an indicative in Greek. He's saying, if you mourn, if you're poor in spirit, even though you may meet all of these things, if you're with me in the kingdom, you're blessed. You can be blessed if you have cancer. You can be blessed if you have a teen pregnancy. You can be blessed if you're with Jesus in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be... A good person, Jesus' answer would say. Plato would say justice. Uh, uh, Aristotle, virtue. Nietzsche said there's no such thing as a good person. It's about will to power. Jesus would say a good person is someone who is pervaded with agape love. Who loves God and who loves others. Who's pervaded with it. And then you have a fourth question. How do you become this kind of person? Plato didn't know. Out of all of his thinking, he said, I just, this is what I can't answer. Aristotle tried to answer it by habit and virtue. Jesus says, if you want to become a good person, here's how. Follow me. Become my disciple. Live your life with me. We're not making disciples of Pastor Lawrence or disciples of A.T. We're making disciples of Jesus. People who learn how to live their life with Jesus, the ordinary life with Jesus, and he teaches you how to live your life as he would if he were you. How would Jesus run a company? How would Jesus hire? How would Jesus fire someone? How would Jesus uh, do all kinds of things? And this is what we're learning. This is the heart behind the Destiny Christian Leadership is to help people discover, help them de uh, develop, and help them deploy the necessary knowledge and skills to accomplish what God has called them to do. And so there's four basic tracks that we're going to be looking at and offering starting August 18th. Four tracks. One, quickly will be the intern track. There's a, there'll be brochures and things out at the back in the Welcome Center. Uh, the intern track, those who want to do ministry, learn, have ministry experience and leadership experience, who feel called. We have interns. Uh, obviously, we have a great team here, and we have more coming in. The second track would be the next generation leader, which would be more like college prep. Students who want to go to college, but they want to take time to prepare. They want to think through all of the ways that they're going to be challenged and even discover some things about themselves. So if you're here and you've already going to college, the good news is you can still go to college and take these classes and maybe come out with more credit than you imagined. Or if you don't, take a year. Come help grow in, your, grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and grow in self-discovery. You could take and not be behind when you go back. The third is what we're track we're calling just the making of a leader. Whether you're 15 or you're 95, God has been forming you. And he is actively involved in your life. And what we want to do is help you discern. You, you, God interacts with us different at 60 than he does when we're 25. And there's a sense in which we have to learn and get in there and discern what God's doing. So we're not just talking about philosophical principles. John Calvin said a lot. Almost 500 years ago, the more we come to know God authentically, the more we come to know our authentic self. And the more we come to know our authentic self, the more we come to know the authentic God. They go same. So not just knowledge of God, but knowledge of ourselves and self-awareness. 
And the last one would be an executive enrichment. This is for the, the business owners, the CEOs. This is for those in management or leadership or those inspiring to be in leadership. We'll be affiliated with National Christian, uh, the National Institute of Christian Leadership by Dr. Mark Rutland, who has 50-plus years of turnaround leadership, major, high-octane, turning around huge organizations that were nosediving and help learn uh, and become better leaders. Because at the end, what we're trying to say, this is not just about knowledge. Knowledge helps us access and cooperate with reality to help people flourish. So we want to learn and grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of God and for the good of others. And this is what we're looking to do. So you can go to Destiny, C-L-I. Destiny stands for Destiny Christian Leadership Institute. Destiny, C-L-I.com in the Welcome Center, when you leave, there'll be an application. There'll also be a brochure. It has all this information on it. Uh, you can go there to get more information. It'll be Sunday nights for about three hours a night. Classes will run six weeks at a time. There's going to be some online classes and some other options you can look into. Let me just end with this. This is not just about information. In fact, if this is all about information, we've missed the point. It's also about formation. We, become, we are becoming a certain kind of person. I don't know if many of you ever read Greek mythology, but in Greek mythology, there's this island of the sirens. It was beautifully portrayed in O Brother, Where Art Thou, with the ladies singing in the water, in the river. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> Most Oklahomans never, never read Homer, but I saw O Brother, Where Art Thou. You know, like, I, I, know, I know that one. <laughs> the islands of the siren in Greek mythology were, were these uh, feminine creatures who would sit up on the rocks and they would sing and their song was so hypnotizing when men heard their song they would turn their ships to go towards the songs and they would run it on the rocks and they would drown and the people would die and the sirens would loot their ships out of all Greek mythology there's only two people that got past the island of the sirens the first one was Odysseus, and you know what he did? He chained his men to the boat, and he poured wax in their ears, and then he chained himself. Nobody was left to pour wax in his ears, so he just screamed as loud as he could as they went by the island of the sirens. Now, if this, for analogy purposes, if the island of the sirens represent all of these ideologies we are constantly bombarded with, from hedonism, where life is about pleasure, to materialism, that life really is about what you can gain, we have all of these things singing songs and trying to lure us in. And many Christians think the way to go about life is like Odysseus. Just chain yourself up and scream. And I just want to say, that's not the freedom that Jesus died for. He didn't come, leave heaven, come to earth, die, resurrect, so that you can chain yourself up and scream the rest of your life. The other person that got past the island of the sirens was Jason and the Argonauts. And Jason hired a man named Mesmer, where we get our English word mesmerize. And when they got near the island of the sirens, they all sat at Mesmer's feet while he played the flute. Some translations he sang, but he played this song. And the song was so mesmerizing that the men could not hear the sound of the sirens. In fact, one, one version says the sirens grew quiet to figure out why the ship wasn't coming in. And when they heard Mesmer's song, they turned to stone. What I am trying to tell you is this is not just about information. This is about learning to sit at the feet of Jesus and behold his beauty. You cannot love something you don't know. Love is the mind musing on something. 
to sit at Jesus' feet and be so um, enthralled with not only, not just his goodness and his kindness, not just he refused to abandon us, but see how wise and lovely, how, how he's for our good and, the, and human flourishing, to stand, as David said, that he wished he could gaze upon his beauty all the days of his life. That we might learn how to sit at the feet of Jesus and that all the siren songs would no longer have its effect. Not because we're chained up and fighting them, but because we're sitting in the beauty of the knowledge of God. So maybe this morning, maybe some of us need to repent. Look, repentance is not a bad word. Repentance makes space within your heart for the kingdom of God. Maybe we've sat at the feet of materialism and we wanted to just use Jesus to help us get some more materialism. Or we've sat at the feet of, of uh, hedonism where it was about pleasure and we just want to use Jesus. The thing about God is he'll never be stripped to his utility. He won't play our games that way. Maybe we need to repent come back and say, Lord, we'd like to learn again how to sit at your feet because look, friends, if the church doesn't do this, who else will? We are called out from the world, but for the reconciliation of the world. And we must learn to sit at his feet and be in awe of him again. And that requires not just passion, not just feeling, but also knowledge. Look, I have a very short life. I'm only 35 years old, but in my short little life, my greatest mistakes and failures have not been the sermons I wished I would have preached or the decision, leadership decisions I made or didn't make or the church growth I missed out on. Not even... Marriage failures or parenting failures, the greatest mistakes right now when I look over my life and failures are the times in which the siren song had lured my heart and Jesus beckoned me to come back and sit at his feet. But either out of laziness or self-absorption, I refused. So I pray we become a people or continue to be a people who sit at the feet of a beautiful God and apply what we learn for the world, for the glory of God, and for the good of others. I'm excited about our time together. So let's take a few moments and just be at his feet. It's a good thing to do. Um, the worship team's going to come, and we're just going to press in for a few moments. And I want to just ask you to just prepare your heart for what God may want to do within you. The, the whole emphasis of what I feel the Lord has been stirring in my heart for this is actually spoken of in Ephesians 3.17. It says we are to be rooted and grounded in love. We're to be rooted and grounded in love. How many of you know love and truth must come together you can't have you can say you love me but if you're not willing to tell me the truth then you really don't and so rooted and grounded I want you to think about this rooted is an agricultural term grounded is an architectural term and both speak of that which is unseen being the foundation and the life source for that which is visible the foundation architecturally holds the strength of the building and the roots agriculturally produce the nutrients that sustain the life of the plant. I'm saying that to say this. Fruit and structure are seen, and that which is unseen must be the focus 
or that which is seen won't happen or it won't last if it does happen. And you and I have a great responsibility to grow and build correctly so that the results of what we build will stand the test of time and we will impact a true foundation, leave a true foundation for the next generation church to be empowered for more than just a, an idea of the gospel that maybe the world has started to settle in for. And I feel God is strengthening us to take some ground in this next season of being the body of Christ that God's called us to be as a family. So come on, let's stand together. Let's just stand in his life. Let's just stand in his love. Let's posture ourselves as we acknowledge today Jesus is Lord. Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Messiah who has fulfilled the prophecies. He has come to awaken humanity out of death into life. He came to rescue us from our sins and he came to rescue us from ourselves. So if you acknowledge today Jesus is the Savior of the world and Lord of your life, then why don't you give Him celebration and praise right now as that declaration. We honor and recognize Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord.